Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. So today we are in the Gospel of Matthew. Welcome to our 11 o'clock service. We're, we're glad you're here. Isn't it fun being in the Gospel of Matthew? I, I love Matthew. I love all the Gospels, but in particular, I like Matthew. It's the first Gospel. I love going through it. There are some stories in Matthew that don't appear in the other Gospels. Like the story we have today, uh, in fact, the text from my message is the wise men from the East. And then we're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, just a couple verses. Verse 1 and 2, but as you know, that doesn't mean that you're going to get out of here early. We have lots of scripture to go over. Uh, but we'll be talking about the wise men from the east. And I love the Gospel of Matthew because there's a few stories in Matthew, and this is one of them that don't appear in the other Gospels. And just think how, how less we would be. I mean, what, our, what would our Christmas be like if we didn't have the wise men to kick around, right? I mean, that, that's kind of fun. I mean, who doesn't have, has put a, a, a nativity scene, a creche on their piano or by their fireplace, and, and it has the wise men and the angels and the shepherds and all those types of things. Now, we know, if you've been in church long enough, and you've, if you're here next week, we'll talk about uh, you know, when they actually came, and, and we know that they probably didn't come right when Jesus was born. It was probably a little bit later. We'll get to that. Um, but it's still fun, isn't it? I mean, it's fun to do those things, to, to see the plays, to see the excitement that our children get. And we would, we would be deprived of that if we don't understand the gospel accounts. Now, a lot of the stories that we have in the, in the Bible are, are, I mean, not in the Bible, those are the true stories, but a lot of the stories we have at Christmas are, are fantasy, right? I mean, we know Santa Claus, right? And we know all of his 12 reindeer by name, right? But, but that's, that's fantasy. Oh, by the way, we got in so much trouble my wife and I, back when our kids were little, because we had a Christian bookstore. And my wife usually did the shopping, which was a smart thing to do, uh, when we went to these conventions and bought books and different... She let me buy the Bibles. That's what she let me buy. But, but I was walking by a booth, and there was a book there that caught my attention. It said, it, the title of the book was, Mommy, Is Santa Claus Real? And I figured, oh, what a cool book. So I looked at the book, and of course what the book did is it basically told the story of Jesus and understood that there was probably a guy named St. Nicholas that, that gave gifts to children. We've kind of embellished that, you know, made the story up to be Santa Claus, that he's not real. <laughs> so I, I bought the book. And we had it at the bookstore. Well, we got in so much trouble from other parents. I mean, I mean, they bought the book, and their kid sees the book, and you know, kid see and finds out that Santa Claus isn't real. You know, our children always knew the story of Jesus, and they always knew that the other stories, including the Easter Bunny, and the Tooth Fairy. Did you know the Tooth Fairy is giving out five dollars now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not more. Is that amazing? I mean, how many teeth do you have? I mean. $5. But, we, but you know, my children always knew the difference between fantasy and reality. And, and that, doesn't, that didn't stop them. They were still, I mean, they're, they're functional adults these days. I mean, they did well. My children knew the story of Santa Claus. They knew that it was fantasy. But at the same time, they, that didn't stop them from climbing up on Santa Claus's knee, on coming down the, the stairs on Christmas Eve and seeing what Santa Claus brought for them. You know, they would just say, thank you, Mom. You know, they, would, they, they knew, but they still had a lot of fun. But we're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking a little bit about uh, tradition versus the text. 
And like I said, most of you are, are under, understand the pageantry around Christmas. Um, we, we love it. We love Christmas. It's one of our favorite holidays. When our kids were little, we were in a, in a relatively small church. But it didn't stop them on pageantry. I mean, it just got everybody got involved. Uh, so our two children are only 13 months apart. And at, at any given time, they played various roles in these Christmas plays. I mean, uh, my daughter was Mary at one time. My son was Joseph. Fortunately, not at the same time. That would have been very embarrassing. Um, but they, were, they played angels and they played shepherds, you know. I think my son was even a sheep at one time. So there was this one year, he was about 11 years old, and uh, he was playing a shepherd. And the church, even though it was small, decided to do it big. So they, they brought, they had a, a, a local farmer that had some goats and some little lambs. So they brought them in. The church brought them in the back and they brought them in. And everybody was, oh, isn't that cute? You know, little lambs and little, little, little lambs and little goats. Well, one of these lambs, and the church was small. Our auditorium was no bigger than this room. And, and this lamb started buying. Bah, okay? Well, it wasn't just a bah, it was bah. You know, it was, it was very, very loud. And, and everybody was, it would kind of startle people and it was disrupting the play. Well, my son was a shepherd and he stayed in character. He went over and picked up that little lamb and cradled it and it kind of calmed down. And the people loved that. That was so much fun to see that. So, so like I said, we don't want to diminish the enjoyment of our pageantry, but at the same time, we want to know what the scripture has to say. What does the scripture have to say? Because you're going to find today that actually there's a lot that we could find out from scripture about these wise men from the east. So let's go ahead and get started. We only have two verses. Uh, it's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It's on the screen. It's also in your bulletins. And it says this. It says, Now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So getting started, we have a clue. Because in some of your Bibles, some of your Bibles, whether it's a King James translation or a New King, it says magi, which is a great translation because the Greek word there is magos, magos. And it refers to this group of Near Eastern um, religious leaders. These were like priests, astrologers, magi. They were, they were uh, soothsayers. They were uh, dream tellers. Um, and that's who, that's who the Bible says came, these, these magi. Well, most ancient civilizations had two ruling classes. I don't know whether you knew this or not, but anthropologists tell us that every society going back in time, even, even to the American Indians, had two ruling classes. They had basically their, their kings and their priests. Their kings and their priests. Well, these magi were not kings. Even though we like the songs, you know, We Three Kings, We Three, no, that's, that's a cool song. But they weren't kings, but they were better than kings because they were kingmakers. And see, often it was the priests that were the kingmakers because the kings had the soldiers, right? They gave the orders. But it was the priests that had the ear of the local god. And the local god sometimes would be happy with the king, and sometimes the, local, the god was not happy with the king. And it was the priests that decided that. And these magi were kingmakers. That's what the, the magis did. Now, the, the, this word magi... The reason we know a little bit about them is because the Bible tells us about the Magi. And it tells us in the story of Daniel. Remember Daniel, Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? We're going to refer to them a couple times. In Daniel chapter 2, uh, this is after, by the way, Daniel interprets the dream. 
In Daniel chapter 1, uh, Daniel and his friends uh, are invited, <laughs> invited. They're taken to Babylon, right? They go to Babylon with 10,000 other Jews. Uh, Daniel doesn't want to spoil himself and eat of the king's delicacies. So he asks to be excused from that. He, pre he prevails. But in chapter 2, we have the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the interpretation. And this is what the king says. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. And then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all of the wise men. There's that word, that magi. They were the magi. Daniel was the administrator, the head of the magi. <clears throat> also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So again, if you remember this story, Daniel is this, this amazing Jewish boy, right? In fact, it's interesting when you think about it, these Jews were deported to Babylon. There was only 10,000 of them, but they do well for themselves. Because Daniel not only sits at the gate of the king, meaning he's number two to the king, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are also promoted as well. So these, little, these Jewish boys did very, very well in Babylon. So again in chapter 5, there's another story, and Daniel receives the same promotion again. This is what it says. This is the wife of Belshazzar, who is the son of Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what he said. This is what she says. She says, There is a man in your kingdom in whom the spirit of the holy God, and in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians. And again, there's that word, the magi, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. So, so it's reasonable to assume, and just an assumption, that these wise men that came from the east, most, and if they were called magi, probably came from that area that we know as Babylon, ancient Persia, uh, what's now Baghdad, Baghdad that, that area there, the area between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. Now the question is, did Babylon exist in the time of, of Jesus? Well, it, it existed, but times had changed. Times had changed. If you remember, after Babylon came Greece, and Greece and Alexander the Great and his generals conquered much of, in fact, all of, uh, all of the land that, uh, that uh, Babylon had conquered. Um, and then after that came the Romans. And after the, after, of course, the Romans had the Roman Empire. But there was a thing about the Roman Empire we don't understand. It, it didn't rule the whole world. It ruled much of what the Greeks had ruled and a little bit more, but not all of what the Greeks had ruled. They never conquered the land of Persia. They never conquered this, this land, this, this land called Parthia. And I have a map here. Uh, the Parthian Empire existed at the time of Jesus. Uh, this is where the Magi most likely came from. Uh, it was a land, now there's another uh, empire there, the Kushai Empire. It only have, I'm only going to mention them because it was on the slide. Uh, that covers uh, present-day uh, present Afghanistan, Pakistan, and northern India. Uh, but the Parthian Empire was a, a formidable empire. And Rome never tried, well, they kind of tried, but they knew they couldn't take it, so they kind of left it alone. They weren't allies with Rome, nor were they enemies. They were just neighboring empires, neighboring empires. They're going to see that this will be important next week. Here's another slide that shows a little bit more detail. You don't have to look at all the slides. I, I have this up intentionally because if you take a look at Jerusalem, directly to the east is what's called Babylonia. 
the old area of Babylon, the old empire of the Babylonian Empire. This is most likely directly east from Jerusalem. You can draw a straight line. And if the wise men came from the east, that goes right into like modern-day Baghdad, where Babylon would have been, where Babylon would have been. Now, it's interesting because if we... We take a look at, at the Parthian Empire. Um, they did a number of things that we also know about in the Bible. For example, not only did they have Magi, because they embraced all of the culture of the Babylonians. It's almost like Babylon, Babylon Part Two. So they embraced all of the culture of the Babylonians. Uh, they also appointed satraps. Remember that word, satraps? We see it not only in the book of Daniel, but we also see in Ezra and in Esther. And satraps were like governors. Uh, the Babylonians as well as the Parthians set up satraps, they set up governors in their different areas to, 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 to rule. So the Magi were these, these kingmakers. They were the kingmakers, the priests that go back 600 years before to the time of Daniel. And this is most likely who these, these individuals were. So um, in our reading today, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And again, we said these were likely magi coming from that region of Babylon. But the question is, how long did it take them to get there? Now, maybe you've never thought about it, but scholars have been speculating about it for centuries. In fact, there's some uh, official, uh, official uh, religious teaching on how long it exactly took them. But it's a good question, so I'm glad you asked. Um, <laughs> we, we read this in, in verse 2. It says, we have, we have seen his star in the east and have come to, to, to worship him. So th this is the thing. Uh, so according to historians, this is the way they would have traveled. Instead of going right across the desert, uh, they would have gone up the Fertile Crescent up to around Syria, Syria, Lebanon area, and then come down because that was the major highways. If they tried to come across the desert, they probably would have died at the hands of, of desert pirates. Now today, it would take you a two and a half hour flight. Or you could actually travel an interstate highway. That's not called interstate, but it's a, it's a divided highway from the area of Baghdad to Jerusalem. And you could get there in about nine hours. Uh, but most likely, it took them a long time because they were probably traveling by caravan. Well, we actually know how long it took, or a good estimate. And it's, again, it's not from speculation or for what people said, but it's in the Bible. In the book of Ezra, it says this, and he, this is Ezra, came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was on the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, I'm gonna, you're going to have to do math here, okay? If you're good in math, okay? On the, on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon. and the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. Five less one is four. It would have taken them four months. It says, For Ezra, verses 10, had firmly resolved to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. So we're not sure exactly how long it took the wise men to get to Jerusalem, but it took Ezra four months. It took Ezra four months. And if you remember the story of Ezra, the king Artaxerxes also gave him soldiers to go along with him to protect the gold and the silver and all the different things and all the implements. They gave them caravans. They gave them lumber. They gave them different building products. There was a number of people going with them. So he gave them uh, armed soldiers to travel with them as well, to protect them, and as well as letters. So as they passed through the different areas, they could see, well, Artaxerxes says we have the ability to travel and go to Jerusalem. So this is some of the backstory, right? This is the backstory. This is what the Bible has to say. Well, 
that doesn't stop tradition, right? Like I said, you've got Santa Claus. You've got Santa Claus. You've got, you have the names of his 12 elves, right? Well, it only makes sense that over time we would have the names of these three wise men, right? Or three kings. And we know them. They are Belshazzar, uh, Malachor, and Gaspar. Belshazzar, Belisar, Belisar, Mel Melchior, and Gaspar, sometimes called Casper, but not a ghost. So over time, now these names first appear around 500 AD, according to historians, in a Greek text. We don't have the Greek text anymore, but that's about the first time we hear these names. And over the centuries, all of the details about their lives have been filled in. Now, we, they have a feast day. It's called the Feast of the Epiphany, the Feast of the Three Kings. If, you're, if you have a... Uh, if you have a Hispanic background, okay, if you come from Mexico, we lived in Mexico for a while, it's a big holiday. Uh, the, the, the feast is called Los Tres Santos Reyes, the Three Holy Kings. And it's a big feast day. It's actually bigger, it was bigger than Christmas, although Christmas is kind of catching up. So if you come from Brazil or Portugal or you come from any of the Hispanic places, it's a, it's a very important holiday. And uh, the church over time has filled in their biographies as well. So, for example, we read that St. Balthazar um, was believed to be the king of Macedonia. And, he, of course, he was one of the three wise men. He died in January 6, 19, uh, 18, <laughs> 55 AD at the age of 112, lived a long time. Melchior was said to be the king of Persia. He died in January of 55 AD, same time, at the age of 116. Uh, now, Caspar, or Gaspar, was the king of India and was a scholar. And it says that um, the, the official time for them to travel to Jerusalem was nine months and 12 days. Again, I don't know where they came up with the number, but they, they fill in the blanks. But, but remember, we're going to talk about tradition sometimes, and I'm not slamming tradition. Tradition is fine as long as it doesn't obscure the truth. Because we want to know what the truth is. We want to know what the truth is because there's so much we can actually learn from what the Bible has to say. It's there to encourage us. In fact, that's what Scripture is. The Bible says that Scripture, Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions. That's 2 Timothy 3.16. This is, this is why we use the Bible as our text. This is why we refer to Scripture. Speaking of scripture, let's go back to the, to the scripture. We, we missed a very important part. Uh, going back to our scripture, it says, now, now when, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. This is the point I want to have, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? King of the Jews. So I want to focus for a minute on this idea of a king being born. Where did they, where did they get that? Where did they get this idea that there would be a king born of the Jews? Where, where would they get that? Well, there's a, a number of prophecies. There's a hundred prophecies that point to the first coming of Jesus Christ. And about 30% of them identify him as a, as a ruler. They call him a prince. Uh, they call him a king, the son of David. The idea that he's, that he's royalty. royalty. Uh, there's an interesting um, uh, scripture verse of, from Balaam, who was a pagan prophet, a pagan prophet. He's the one that was, that was yelling, with, arguing with his donkey. I mean, how stupid do you have to be to argue with a donkey, right? Uh, so, so he's arguing with a donkey, but he gives a prophecy that's obviously coming from the Lord. It says this, it says, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Well, it just so happens that Balaam was a Persian pagan. He was from Persia, same area that we're talking about where the Magi come from. So it's likely that they may have known this scripture verse as well. However, I think we go back to Daniel. 
Daniel was the head of all of the Magi. We have some of the amazing, the amazing prophecies that we have in the book of Daniel point to the coming of Jesus Christ. And I think they probably would have used one of Daniel's prophecy to guide their astrology, to guide their, their stargazing. So for example, this is what Daniel says. This is the prophecy of the 77s. I'm not going to get into the the depth of the prophecy. Uh, I use my wife as a, as a gauge because I'll talk to my wife about my scripture and what I'm going to be teaching. And when, when her eyes start rolling back in her head and she starts nodding off, I realize I'm probably getting too deep, okay? So, so she's my litmus test for what I teach on, on Sundays. But this is what the Bible says. This is Daniel chapter 9. Daniel says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, prince means royalty, king, right? A prince is a soon-to-be king. There should be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall and even in troublesome times. Now, I'm not going to go through all of the background. If you've been with me when we've done our Bible study, I went into a little bit more detail on the 77s. I'm just going to make it real easy for you. The sevens refers to years. So the idea of seven, seven sevens or seven times seven years, which is 49, or 62 weeks or 62 times seven, which is 434. But basically what it says is there's going to be a command at some time given to go and rebuild Jerusalem. And from the time that command to Messiah is going to be a total of 483 years. So if these if these magi knew of that prophecy, they didn't know which command because there were a number of different commands to go and rebuild Jerusalem, but one of them would have taken them 483 years to Messiah the Prince. Now, we have the benefit of hindsight, right? We know about when Jesus was born, and we know about when he turned 30 years of age, which is when he became, uh, you know, when he started doing his ministry, and we know that that was 26 AD around 26 AD. Well, sure enough, 483 years from the time, from the, from the, from the, the decree of Artaxerxes II to go and rebuild, exactly 483 years was 26 AD. If you back up to about the time of his birth, it would have been around the time Jesus was born. So we have the benefit of, of prophecy. We have the benefit of prophecy plus hindsight. They didn't. All they had was the prophecy. So it could have been a hundred years that they were watching the sky, watching for a sign, watching for something to happen that would indicate that a king was being born. But again, it's a, it's a probability, not just a possibility, that this is one of the prophecies that they were, they were looking at. Now, the Bible says out of Isaiah, I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that they may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And I, I think that we don't understand that we are the recipients of the blessings of the Gentiles. Uh, this age that we're in is referred to the age of the church. It's also referred to the age of the Gentiles. This is a, a time when we've been grafted in. This is the intermission time almost between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. And we get all the benefits of being children of Abraham, even though that's not our DNA, that's not our blood. But we get the benefits of it. And, and the Bible says very clearly that we as Gentiles, as believers, also need to be looking for his coming again. His second coming, because Jesus is, is coming back again. You know, the angel, remember in Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus ascended into heaven. This is the very beginning of the, of the book of Acts. Jesus ascending into heaven, and the disciples are standing there watching Jesus go up. 
And the angel comes to them and, and says, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you see him go. So the idea is this is that you're looking up into heaven, but he's going to be coming back. So ever since that beginning, we've been looking for the second coming, second coming of Jesus Christ. And, and there's certain times that we look, uh, you know, it's, things happen in the earth and we think it's going to happen real soon. I'm sure people around the time of World War I thought it was going to happen, World War II, they thought it was going to happen. Um, but, but we should be looking. We should be looking. Jesus said this. He says, on the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed keep alert. Isn't that interesting? He says, no one knows what's going to happen, but keep watching. Stay alert. For you do not know when the appointed time will come. We are to eagerly await the coming of the Lord. For example, in, in Philippians chapter 3, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Titus chapter 2, Paul says, waiting for our blessed hope. I love that scripture verse. The idea that all of these perplexities, the coming of all the tribulation and all of the difficulties, Paul says is our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul says, so let us not sleep as others do, but keep, let us keep awake and be sober. Boy, doesn't that apply to the Magi? I mean, if they're stargazers, when do you watch the stars? You're watching them at night, right? Instead of sleeping at night, they're staying awake at night, and they're watching the sky, and they're looking for a sign of the coming of he who is to be born, the king of the, of the Jews. Jesus said, you must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Now, it's interesting. If you take a look at, at prophecy, and you know I, I love prophecy, and I see so much of it here. In, in Matthew chapter 24, which is a very significant book of prophecy, it starts off with the apostles remarking to Jesus about the splendor of the temple. Remember that? They say, look at this temple. And Jesus says, he says, don't you know, don't you know that not one stone will be left on top of another? Okay, it'll all be torn down. Speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem, which happened in 70 AD, future at the time. And, and, the, and the disciples were confused, and they wait until they get to the Garden of, uh, Garden of Olives, and they say, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And that's why I like chapter 24, because Jesus gives us almost a mini uh, a, a, a Cliff Notes version of the book of Revelation. You remember the Cliff Notes? Cliff Notes got me through uh, world literature, okay? I took Western literature. I mean, I would have flunked that class if it wasn't for Cliff Notes because Cliff Notes kind of puts it together. And chapter 24 of Matthew is kind of a Cliff Notes version of the book of Revelation because he talks about wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes. He calls them all the beginning of the birth pangs. And then he says, there'll be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, never be equaled again. That's talking about the great tribulation. But then at the end of chapter 24, Jesus gives us the primary clue, the thing to be working for. Just as the Magi were looking for a star, this is what Jesus said to look for. He says, now this, he says, learn this from the parable of the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all of these things, know that it is near at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. 
You know, scholars understand that the symbolism that Jesus is talking about, this fig tree, is Israel. Uh, we know that. For, for example, there's a, there's, a, there's a prophecy that Jeremiah gives. In fact, it's not so much a prophecy, it's an observation. And Jeremiah sees a fig tree that has good figs on it and bad figs. And he asks the Lord, what's with these good figs and bad figs? And the Lord says, says uh, my eyes will watch over the people over them for their own good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I'm the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God. So scholars look at this saying, this is just one of those prophecies. There's many that talk about the Jews will be back in the land. But Jesus, in Matthew 24, says, when you see this happen, when you see this happen, understand that this is the generation that will see all of these things come about. You know, it was, that was, almost, it was over 2,000 years ago. But in, in May of 1948, this generation, our generation, saw the institution of the land of Israel in a day. All of a sudden, Israel from, went from not being around for 2,000 years to being the nation of Israel and exists today. Isaiah 66 says this, who has heard such things? Who has ever seen these things? Can a country, he asked the question, can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? No sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. You see, the Magi were astrologers. In their religion, they believed that the stars spoke of the future. We know that the Bible speaks of the future, the, the prophecies that are given in the Bible. That's our religion. We look not to the stars but we, for fulfillment, but we look to the Bible for fulfillment. We look for the clues. Jesus says we don't, might not know the day or the hour, but he says watch for the signs and be watchful for the signs. You know, the greatest sign of the return of Jesus Christ is upon us. And that's the nation of Israel. Israel is back in the land. Uh, they may still be far from God. For those of you that have been to Israel, they're still, the people are still not where they need to be, but they're still his people. Soon, the Bible says there'll be these perplexities, nation against nation and wars and rumors of wars. But just before all of these perplexities, which we call the Great Tribulation, we believe that Jesus returns for his bride. Jesus says, I go away to prepare a place, but I will return for you. This is why Paul calls it the, the blessed hope. It's the return of the Lord. It's the catching away of the saints. Jesus says, behold, I am coming quickly. And the Bible says that our response is Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank You've you. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.